HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Greg Benson. Southern Teague's out in the studio this week, so it's just uh, you and me and our awesome guests that we'll bring in in a moment. But uh, what's been going on, Greg? Just the Sunshine Crew. I'm good, man. Uh, It was uh, (laughs) St. Patrick's Day last weekend, so I live live in a pretty big, like, Irish and Italian neighborhood, so I celebrated. I went out to an Irish bar that's been in my neighborhood for almost 100 years now. Uh, I got a really nice sort of uh, Tiffany glass divider that used to separate the the civilized diners from the front from the the rowdier (laughs) crowd in the back. Uh, the bartenders all like to tell you that it used to separate the uh, the men's half and the women's half of the bar, but uh, that's a bit of an urban legend, but a fun one. Uh, and yeah, I celebrated by, I went out, I had one Guinness, uh, I watched someone almost barf on the floor, and then I went home and was in bed at a reasonable hour. That's how I celebrated St. Patrick's Day, man. What about you? That's great, man. That's, that's <laughs> You check all the boxes, basically. I did. I did the thing. Um, man, what did I do? I, my friend's band was playing a couple of friend's bands were playing, uh, in our kind of like local, one of our local venues that, uh, has, a, a kind of a newer life. Uh, it used to be called Perry's silver dollar saloon. And now they just call it Perry's, but it's in downtown Fairfax. And we actually played my band, the Lone Wolf Coyotes played there a couple weekends ago. Um, been really busy. Um, uh, with just all kinds of stuff, which is why I wasn't on the show the last two weeks. But of course, that's why there's three of us. So the show will go on if one of us has to step away like uh, Southern is today. But so we went to uh, my brother and I went to Perry's for my friend's early show from six to eight. Uh, had a Guinness, had an Irish whiskey. And I think I was at home in bed by like 845. So kind of I didn't see anyone puke. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's like... I've seen enough of that in my life and I could just, you know, have we all the gaps. Yeah. yeah so we know, we know what like, we've seen the show before. We know what it's like. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was fun. It was a great show. Um, got, my brother and I got called up on stage for the, the encore to like sing with the band and 
that was really fun. And yeah, it was just a bunch of like 90 plus year old women. Uh, they're just dancing and having a great time. <laughs> it was really God. sweet, actually. That's awesome. We're so, we're so reasonable now. We're so reasonable with our with yeah, our I've lost my edge. holidays. I know. <laughs> it's okay. We've all we've all gotten softer with time. Uh, I, this is cool though. Yeah. I learned something interesting this weekend because um, I was teaching a cocktail class. I teach about um, caffeinated cocktails, but it gives me a chance to riff on one of my absolute favorite topics, which is why human beings seek out bitter flavors. And it's cool if you look at the history of like Campari and the Negroni, instead of having this sort of rise and fall and rise again pattern that a lot of classic drinks do, it has these sort of flare-ups. Like Campari was really, really big in San Francisco in the early 1900s. The Negroni was huge in Paris in the 1920s and a lot of Negroni variations like the Boulevardier and the Cardinal were really big around then. Uh, it was huge in Rome in the 1950s and then it was a really big part of the cocktail revolution here in New York in the early 2000s. And if you think about all those times, right, San Francisco in the early 1900s, Paris in the 1920s, Rome in the 1950s, New York 20 years ago, that coincides pretty neatly with the San Francisco earthquake, World War I, World War II, and 9-11 which is weird, yeah. right? Like you would think that human beings would be, you know, shoving Pop-Tarts in our faces and crushing like Coke vanilla instead of, you know, seeking out bitter flavors when we're in, you know, moments of, of trauma and tragedy and crisis. But I think that kind of gets back to the physiological reaction that we have as a species when we eat something bitter, right? It's not a painful sensation. It's kind of a, whoa, hey, whoa, what's, what's going on here? What's happening? Let's reassess. Let's, let's take right. a beat and think about where we go from here, which is really kind of the mindset you want when you're facing down something that's big and terrible and difficult to comprehend at first. Uh, and so that's the, that's the, uh, the elevator version of a much longer story that I launched into in this class. But for the first time ever, I had a woman chime in and say, uh, so I'm actually a psychological researcher and we've been doing research and we found that people who like bitter flavors do tend to be bigger risk takers, uh, which is, which is wild to me. And, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation of that little, that little, uh, pet theory that I just shared, but it is interesting to know that one, uh, us, you know, people that are crushing Fernet and Campari over here are uh, living a more metal lifestyle, which is cool. <laughs> and it's also kind of an interesting, you know, the, the uh, an interesting bridge between like physiologically what we experience as one of our five basic senses and just kind of our, our general worldview, which I thought was, was really, really dope. I told her to uh, hit me up on Instagram and see if she wanted to collaborate on any sort of peer-reviewed study about this in the future. I'd be really interested to keep working on something like this. But there you go. Confirmation huh. that if you like Amaro, you're just objectively a cooler person, scientifically <laughs> speaking. You're more involved in, in the bigger picture of the world, right? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. You might also take right. a crazy risk and remove yourself from the gene pool at 22. But you know what? That's the price we all pay. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's, that's, wow, that's really interesting. I would have never thought of that. But uh, all right, I'm, I'm with it. I'll, I'll follow you yeah, along man. with that. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, cool. exactly. Also, it's, it's science and it makes me look cool. So I have no notes. I'm, uh, I'm content <laughs> to just accept that and move on. Man, you know, I'm sure that there's like, you know, and not to play like 
too much devil's advocate, but uh, you know, maybe you're being a little southerish today by relating <laughs> bitters with like terrible world events. Uh, just because you know, in his stead, uh, we need a little bit of that that you know that salt and pepper, you know, to to really sprinkle throughout the show. I'll say, well, yeah, we've got the Sunshine Twins on today. Someone's got to break. What I'm going to do is. I'm going to go back through history and kind of find the positives on the other side uh, and see what they go. See, see what happens, what sort of art movement or, you know, some sort of like kind of like forward progressive uh, action happened during these times. Uh, <laughs> and just kind of like, just, just so we can get some balance here, but I, cool. maybe that's a good segue for bringing in our guest actually, because <laughs> She is one of my best friends of all time. Uh, we met many, many years ago, uh, not to put ages on us, but um, you know, in honor of uh, partially Women's History Month, but also some really cool things that she's doing these days and has done over the past few years. I think it makes all the sense in the world to have our guest on today. Let's get into the studio. Our good friend, Chucky Tom, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, rather. Hi, guys. It's great to be back. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Where are you calling in from? Um, beautiful, not sunny London. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. It's been like abnormally rainy and cold in, in Northern California for it seems like forever. So I feel like I'm there with you or we're, we're at least like closer together because of our our drab weather. But that's great. Uh, you moved out there to London, uh, what, two years ago, three years ago? Um, October 2020, which wow. is, which was a hell of a time to move. And like we talked about last time, right. I even brought my cat <laughs> through <Yeah>. Paris. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Well, cats famously love to travel, so I'm sure that that yeah. was a smooth <laughs> journey for everybody. He's a chill little dude, actually, and he was pretty cool about being leash trained and all this other stuff, and I've just rewarded him greatly because he's old now, and he made the journey, so just making sure that he's very spoiled. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, good for, good for you, but, but mostly good for him. Um, it sounds <laughs> like he's, he's reaping the rewards of a life well lived at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talk to us a little bit about what you've been up to. The last time we had you on, you were uh, working, it had a different name, but you were uh, doing a little bit of a pivot, uh, our least favorite word, but you were working on uh, kind of a, a, let's call it a reorientation with what is now known as do immersive. So fill us in on what's happened since the last time we had you in the studio. So um, since we did that last, we changed to do immersive because again, like I said, um, changing the name from doom Tiki to do immersive was part of just like our greater goal of just, leading by example. And while I still do a few of the pop-ups um, over the year, like last year, I did one in London. Um, I did one in Washington, D.C. at the Green Zone. Um, I did one um, for going up in uh, New York. You know, so we still do those periodically when, the, when it motivates me. But uh, since then, I've kind of taken like the work that I've done with Demersive about like um, cultural empowerment, cultural exchange, um, collaboration, and like moving past like stereotypes and things. And I've pivoted more towards visibility um, in our industry and the hospitality um, space in particular about like, um, you know, indigenous people like myself. Um, so since that's happened, I've done some collaborations with Tales of the Cocktail, Portland Cocktail Week. Um, I've had a few articles. I've done a few seminars here and there. And then um, in 2021 and 2022, I presented the um, 
first two Indigenous-led seminars in Tales history. So that was pretty cool. And um, from that point, I've just been kind of like building a community, mentoring a few bartenders here or there, and finding different ways and projects to kind of like bring a lot of these important conversations about our communities, us as modern people, and sustainability, especially in regards to the need to find that in cocktail programs and bartenders looking to do foraging. Very cool. So that's a big update. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like I was going to ask you about, you know, since you did the first, uh, the first tales seminar in 2021. And I remember that because we were talking during that time and uh, I remember you, you were excited about it. You were trying to like, you were having kind of a hard time, uh, with a couple of uh, parts of it because one you were like why has this never been a part of the conversation okay and then the second one you were like like are there you it talked to me about this or maybe you talked to us on the show about it but you were like like it doesn't seem like that many indigenous bartenders it doesn't seem like there's a lot of indigenous bartenders first of all um but since 2021 since the first uh, for seminar tales, have you seen a lot of people coming? It sounds like you've got a, a whole network of of indigenous bartenders that uh, are in your your circle. Yeah, so uh, we've been building our circle slowly. Like um, I, every year I go to New York, New Jersey around BCB time, and then I do Tiki by the Sea, and I also attend every single like kind of like live seminar thing I can because that's the way I'm going to find more people to build community. If that makes sense, so like when we did our first live tale seminar last year, like all of these bartenders had attended that were like, we didn't know there were, there were more of us out here like you, like me. Um, it was the first time I think since I've been in this industry for over well, almost 20 years now, something like that. I'm definitely dating myself here, but <laughs> that I've been at like a big event anywhere in the world with like two other indigenous people to go to like things with like, it was nice to have a community. It was nice to have what we were referring to as our indigenous girl gang. And, you know, to be able to kind of like, like, um, you know, be happy that we're all there together and, you know, we're leading these conversations and they're not being led for us. If that makes sense. Right. Right. Totally. And well, you said the indigenous girl gang. So Mariah Kunkel was part of this, correct? Oh, actually, um, it was um, not Pacifica people this time, but specifically indigenous people that okay, were like, cool. um, you know, while it's cool to work with other, other communities that are dealing with similar, um, you know, issues and have are dealing with the after effects of colonization. This was really the first time it was just all like First Nations or like indigenous Americans, so to speak. Oh, wow. that, yeah. And I mean, it's taken me this long to kind of get that together. So it was just super exciting and we had a good time and we had a lot of fun and it was nice because you know, um, people are just like, Oh, there's more than one of you. That's so cool. And I was like, right. have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, talking about like the after effects of colonization and I know you can and have, uh, filled, you know, um, conversations twice as long as our, our dirty little radio program, uh, with, with <laughs> what that means and how that affects our industry. But could you, could you quickly give us like some of the, the, the sort of key points, some of the major things that you might want our listeners to take away when they think about, you know, how, how something so vast as dealing with, you know, the, the fallout of 200 years of colonization affects, you know, us in the bar industry today. 
I mean, it even starts even bigger than that. Like um, it goes back to first contact when um, corn had been cultivated for centuries in Mexico and that got taken back to Europe and has really changed the whole course of the world, becoming like one of the top three most important um, grains that all societies kind of depend on. And then, um, you know, even prior to like invasion, there were all of these ancestral fermented beverages, which I've been really spending a lot of time researching that were made all the way from like South America on up into like Alaska, everything from like um, uh, cacao wines from Brazil, um, you know, early tapache, chicha, um, early fermented corn beers, like uh, wines made from like honey and other berries and things like that. So we had this kind of whole cu culture that existed and, you know, due to colonization, a some of that's hidden because we're doing we're dealing with the stereotypes again, which I can I'll get into later. And then B, like um, just you know through colonization, the Spanish conquistadors burned all of these like libraries full of knowledge, which took some of these fermented beverages and took some of these early medicines that came from that. And just you know all of our all of like our just our uh, distilleries and everything else in our industry in America and Canada you know, and all through the Americas exist on indigenous, like, um, stolen land. So you have to really think about where everything comes from. And while it's happened with sage, where everyone's like super trendy about it, and that was something we were punished, you know, for practicing, it's been overharvested to the point where, you know, we can't even get enough for our own religious purposes. So as um, more bartenders, like, look to Columbus or discover these ingredients, you know, there's like a real need for conversations about um, community involvement and in researching, especially for safety things with the people that know it best. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wow. Okay. So let's back up just a second. Did you, okay. You're talking about like, you're talking about sage bundles, like for burning for like religion. So that's an interesting little tidbit of information that I, I don't know, Greg, have you heard? So you're talking oh. about like hip, hipsters and like Joshua tree buying all the sage to like put on their mantle or on the dashboard of their Tesla or whatever the hell it is. And <laughs> so, and so they're, they're, that's, wow. What a crazy thing to think about. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like a real issue. Like um, it wasn't until the seventies that we're even allowed to legally practice our religions, you know, and with colonization and even especially like California where you are, you know, um, all of that was done through the Catholic church, which is why we have wineries in the first place. So, um, although, so it's, it's like a really like kind of like sad cycle where a lot of like illegal immigrants who are indigenous themselves will come into California. They'll poach it. It gets sold by other places, um, places that like my family would secretly pick this and do everything the correct way that you're supposed to for generations has been like just completely destroyed. So like by doing that and supporting that, you're like actually harming us. And the way I was raised, you were never supposed to buy sage. It was supposed to be give it, given to you and given right. to you by somebody that got it in the right way. So like, I don't know, that's a lot of bad energy out there. And even to the point where we're doing like a lot of things towards food sovereignty, where we claim like our traditional food ways, some of the California recipe books would have sage in them, but people don't want to even publish them. So like it just doesn't get taken. Something else doesn't get taken instead. So it's cultural preservation in that sense. Wow, the thing that you burn in your new home to ward off bad energy is creating more bad energy because of <laughs> cultural appropriation. <laughs> Damn, that's heavy. Yeah, I mean, 
Same thing with like Palo Santo, which is why I've always right. kind of like avoided in cocktails because I'm like, that's again, being used to the point where the people that actually use it in a religious manner don't have access to it. So right. it's just, you know, something you wouldn't think about because it doesn't affect you in particular. But once you know about it, it's kind of a real bummer. Yeah, it is. Man. So yes. So taking that in mind, um, you know, a lot more bars are doing foraged and local programs. So again, um, we really want to like have conversations where like you should go to the different nations uh, and work with the people that grow this or know where to forage it and either learn from them or buy from them directly so that all of these foods won't be over harvested to the point where we don't have them anymore. Right. That's uh that's some powerful information right there. I mean, we grow sage on our on our farm out here in California and but we barely we we try to leave it be a lot of times. I just like I just like seeing it, you know. And I feel like you don't really get to see it in the wild too much anymore because of exactly what you're saying is over harvested. So it's interesting. So what I'm hearing is when I come and visit you, I can totally harvest it for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Totally gonna visit you now, Damon. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that now you're gonna visit me because of that, okay. <laughs> Not because we've been friends for forever. She was on the fence, okay. but that that clinched it. <laughs> okay, good. Well, that's funny. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's like that's it's a really important thing. I, honestly, I had never thought of that, and and I know that, like, you know, when I was a kid, you know, growing up in Southwest Oklahoma, it was like it was a very important thing. We didn't, my family, like, never fucked with it. You know, like it was, and I'm not just trying to like pat myself on the back. It was just like a thing that like, this isn't, we were adjacent to the culture and, you know, we would go to all the gatherings and like, you know, you know, you and I have talked about our, like trading our fry bread, fry bread recipes and all this stuff. I mean, I grew up in, in that yeah, culture, yeah. but like, we never would have like, we, we would have sage around sometimes, but it was always a gift. Now that I think about it, it was always a gift from my native American friends their families and it was huh and it was usually at some like pivotal moment in it was like high school graduation or something you know it was some like kind of bigger moment in life so i don't know that's crazy i haven't thought about that in years yeah like, i mean well also uh, that's one of the things that we bonded over is like you know your family's always kind of like none what's up with that and you've always you know been privy to that information and like been really cool about things and we've had a lot of hilarious conversations about it and ended up with funny tattoos so you know, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> becoming a friend with it and like, you know, meeting somebody halfway as opposed to just deciding that this thing that you like that's cool is yours. You can go about right. things the right way. I mean, there was a, a self-care thing that happened during lockdown where someone sent a bunch out and we had to like be like, yeah, um, that's actually harmful if you're trying to promote mental well-being for us. So, you know, it's an ongoing conversation, but um i saw was it the blend recently did some things with sage cocktails and they used the right kind it was refreshing no conversation needed there you go that's amazing and that's and that's how you do it <laughs> um oh man you know i uh, i i'm i love that you started talking about corn as ingredient i'm a huge fan of corn not the band but the the grain um <laughs> and it, it's I know that there's like a conversation. This isn't necessarily an indigenous, like directly uh, related to like that topic, but it, it, I just read something the other day about 
uh, corn farmers wanting to change the verbiage for corn syrup because they say that it's like a, um, it sounds like uh, derogatory uh, these days. It's, it's been kind of bastardized as a thing, and it kind of is. But uh, and just if this is just a quick sidebar. Any opinions on that? <laughs> well, I mean, um, corn is just like such a kind of weird subject right now because you have all of these great like Mexican farmers um, and like uh, the companies that we're working for for the for, that are sponsoring like Abasolo and Nixta that are like you know using ancestral corn varietals and things that have been going on for like thousands of years and preserving that you have like indigenous farmers or seed guardians in the States that are protecting certain things. And uh, like even a Diné friend of mine, Danielle Goldtooth still makes like a steamed corn. That's like a way to preserve it. And then you have all these kind of big corporations changing it. And then on top of that, you have like different breweries and then distilleries trying to like kind of reclaim these corn, like these corns for use in like their products. So there's just like a whole bunch of conversations going on, but again, not enough of them kind of involve the people that cultivated it and know it best, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense actually. And oh, uh, even its impact outside of the Americas, like in Ireland where, um, you know, a lot of it goes into the whiskeys there, you know, that like um, helped the industry there in a lot of ways. So it's kind of interesting to see how big it's spread and how important it is and how many products we make from it. Right. Yeah. Delicious I mean, products. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a, a lot of those, you know, the, the Abasolo is, is amazing. It's an absolutely delicious whiskey and I'm, I'm glad that it exists. Um, but all of this conversation about like, you know, making sure that we, you know, harvest these things the right way and that we, you know, respect the, the, the natural balance of the ecosystem so that we can continue to enjoy things like sage and corn in the future reminds me of, you know, perhaps the, the conversation that I've heard the most about this is the one around agave and you're doing something interesting with Cascabel these days. Is that right, Chalky? Yeah, I've been um, working with them. They're a tequila brand that's started in the UK that will be launching in the U S and, um, we've been doing a lot of classes on like um, indigenous ingredients of the Americas and just introducing people to like, you know, a um, how these ingredients have traveled and how we use them every day and how they're used in your cocktails, particularly in regards to Mexico and just, you know, just learning about different uses and different culture that goes around that. And then uh, we're going to be continuing that work because I've been doing some sort of like not ambassador, but more like, um, advocacy stuff for them and um so it's been really interesting to kind of introduce this information to like europe and they're also doing some great work with the communities um that grow the agave and produce everything for them as well so it's been a really good collaboration yeah because i mean the you know the the thing that i know about agaves is that you know every time i see a news article about them as as a species it's rarely good news it's like you know the genetic the gene pool for blue weber agave is getting dangerously low or like we're over harvesting these wild agaves because of our insatiable lust for mezcal so how do we and i know i know i'm asking you a lot of unfair questions today this is my this is my favorite type of interview where i ask people <laughs> to solve to solve problems in uh, let's call it 45 minutes that've been plaguing the world for decades but how do we not do that how do we what is a better way to kind of think about these spirits and reframe our thought process in terms of where they come from how we harvest them and ensuring that we can still drink 
tequila and mezcal and ricea, you know, 20 years from now, and we haven't harvested them into extinction. Well, it's uh, one of those things, and I think especially um, it pertains towards um, New World spirit categories, for lack of a better term, like especially with your bourbons and your uh, rums as well. There's just not as much of a valuation uh, on them as as opposed to like Eurocentric ones, like the whiskeys and gins and, you know, like cognacs and things here that mm. have been more established. So even having that consideration is one of the starting points. The other one is to work with the communities that produce everything and listen to them about stuff. And, you know, like understand that if you get every single farm in tequila to grow, like, you know, agave, then they're not going to have food and that's going to create other issues. So, you know, looking at bigger community impact and again um, with GIs and things like that, allowing them to kind of lead the path and, and, and how things are done. So, I mean, it really doesn't, work unless you start at the smallest, most local level. I love that. You know, the, the it's, it, it kind of gave me a little bit of, you know, we were talking about this. It just gave me a little bit of a flashback, like Greg, what you were saying to, to kind of get this information out of Chalky. Um, I was at <laughs> Chartreuse about four years ago and, and it was a really amazing trip, but they were, they were like, dude, you fucking American bartenders need to stop using so much chartreuse because we can't keep up. And we basically only do this to pay for the monastery and we're not going to start making like anymore. So it's going to become allocated. And it, now we're starting to see that. So it's kind of one of those things too, where it's like, you know, if, if we're over harvesting the blue whipper agave, it's like, man, like people are not going to slow down on drinking you know, mezcal and ricea, uh, it's only going up and up and up, right? So really kind of, we might need to check ourselves on the way we drink too. You know, just yeah. Like, no, totally. But also it, it, it makes me concerned because it seems like the solution to these problems is like, well, people just need to be more respectful and less greedy. And uh, right. historically, we haven't been awesome at that. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 no. But you know, the thing is, it can't just be one or two brands doing it. It's going to have to be like a category size, um, you know, solution. It's, it's you know, everyone's going to have to be involved in it somehow. It can't just be one or two brands to make the actual proper impact that it needs to. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, hey, this is awesome. Let's uh, take a quick break. Um, you've got some stuff coming up soon that I want to talk about uh, in the second half of the show that I'm really excited for you and uh, excited about personally. Um, but let's take a quick break here from our sponsors and we'll be right back with our good friend, Chucky Tom. Back in a moment. Every glass of wine tells a story. And these stories reveal hidden histories, flavors, passions, and sometimes they unravel our darkest desires. In Wine Enthusiasts' newest podcast, Vinfamous, journalist Ashley Smith dissects the underbelly of the wine world. We hear from the people who know what it means when the product of love and care becomes the source of greed, arson, even murder. Each episode takes listeners into the mysterious and historic world of winemaking and the crimes that have since become, well, Vinfamous. This podcast pairs well with wine lovers, history nerds, and crime junkies. So grab a glass of your favorite and follow the podcast to join as we delve into the twists and turns behind the all-time most shocking wine crimes. Follow Vinfamous on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen, 
and be sure to follow the show so you never miss a scandal. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, we have our good friend, Chucky Tom, who we're talking about some things, some some issues in the first half of the show of, of uh, responsible use of ingredients or or maybe some great ingredients you probably shouldn't use, uh, <laughs> like sage sometimes. Um, but, you know, there's, you've been working on all this stuff for so long and really kind of changing the culture around the indigenous side of ingredients and cocktails and the bar and the bartenders. And you have something coming up soon, April 4th, I believe, right? It is um, April 4th. Yeah, cool. So you're going to be doing something that you're calling the Corn Silk Road. Uh, this is a series, actually. Um, and you're doing this at one of the most famous cocktail bars in the world, the uh, Little Red Door in Paris. Can you tell us about this event? I mean, I I got the one sheet in front of me, and it looks really cool. I mean, I, I love some, like these ingredients you're talking about. And uh, I just want to hear about how you're going to uh, present this show in, uh, in this series. So tell us about the uh, corn silk group. Well, we're going to make Little Red Door the reddest it's ever been. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can make that joke. Uh, but so so Alex Francis, um, who works at Little Red Door, is a good friend of my husband's. And uh, when I first moved to London, we all went out to like eat. And I didn't really chat with him much, but he invented, he uh, invited me to go see the um, Little Red Door menu release at Lioness. And it was like um, their first menu that really used like all the like local ingredients. We're doing all the like, you know, farm to glass kind of concept stuff. And everything was super sustainable. And there was just like great respect and understanding for, you know, how things were produced. Um, so after that happened, I kind of like mentioned some of the work I was doing around like food sovereignty and cocktails and things like that to Alex and this has kind of, I guess, been forming in the back of our minds. And after presenting the last two um, seminars with the at Tales, the one um, and last summer, like Alex Francis and I ended up like meeting up at in New York for BCB in New Orleans and just kind of continuing this conversation. And after that last like the last um, seminar that we led, he and I decided it was time for it. So what we're going to do is we're going to take 
three bartenders, including myself, that are indigenous from the U.S. to Paris. And we're going to work with local ingredients from farmers that are of American origin that are now grown in, in Europe. And our whole cocktail menu is going to kind of just discuss like, you know, and showcase ways that these ingredients that are from, you know, the Americas that our people have relied on are part of the drinks landscape and kind of use like different, you know, use our backgrounds and flavors in different ways with this interesting cocktail technology and sustainability to showcase just, you know, what the modern indigenous, um, you know, beverage category could be. So um, we're super excited about it. We're going to lead a seminar, you know, and people don't know things that like quinine or corn, tomatoes, potatoes, various herbs, um, you know, are all kind of indigenous based mesquite, you know, different squash. kinds of yep, squash, pumpkin seed, you know, all of these different things that are just like now part of our drinks landscape are from the Americas. And, you know, when we look at looking, you know, um, we like as much visibility in our ingredients and things. And I think that that should go all the way back to the people that we got them from. And if these people are modern and exist and also happen to occupy like parts of our industry, it's a good chance to continue these conversations and figure out like um, solutions for things together. So cool. That's awesome. And I also, I also didn't realize that Chinchona Park was, was uh, indigenous to the United States that, or to, uh, you know, the Peru. Americas. That's wild. Peru. Yeah. Yep. And like, I mean, it's been like really fun research. Um, you know, it's interesting that like the word maize is a Taino word from, you know, Puerto Rico that was by the time the first, you know, that guy that got lost with those other boats that I don't like to talk about made it to that <laughs> part of the world. Like the word maize had come over there and that's how that like terminology kind of came about, you know, and you know, quinine, the gin and tonic. Well, I mean, my friend refers to it the, as the official beverage of colonialism, but you know, <laughs> it's like also such a huge part of our, like, you know, it's people probably drink what thousands a day at any given bar or week or whatever, you know? So it's like super popular bourbon, you know, some of these newer character of uh, some of these newer corn based things that are coming out. A lot of the fruits, pineapples, you know, and just, it really amazes people when I bring these things out. I'm like, yeah, these are actually from us and you drink these every day. So let's talk about it. You know, a pineapple gin and tonic is very, very good. Just saying, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but at what cost? God damn it. Well, actually um, <laughs> we're, we're doing one with a tapache that we're making from champagne yeast because we also want to oh, show nice. that these ingredients um, you know, are grown other places and there's ways to like integrate them as a collaborative effort into culture with like flavor. I love Tapache. And it seems like, you know, what I like about Tapache, like in the bar world, at least for right now and just the drinks world, it doesn't seem like it's been totally overrun by like new brands trying to make it. It's still like, it feels like bartenders and chefs are making it rather than buying it and that makes me feel really good well but damn it you know that now that we've mentioned it on this show since we are yeah, you know we're it. we're at the forefront of the industry after all it's <laughs> it's over now everyone's going to yeah, start making right. this on a massive scale plus you have to be careful when you make it at home because if you make it wrong you can blow stuff up so like you know oh, yeah. oh geez but now everybody's going to be wanting to do that <laughs> now, yeah if i don't say that warning then i'm being very irresponsible but i mean 
even tapache was originally corn based. So it's been like really cool looking into all this stuff and figuring out ways to like use like the lab to make interesting riffs on all of this stuff. So I think it'll, I think it'll be um, a really eye opening event and I'm not quite sure what the world will make of it, but I'm very excited to finally have put this together and to have found like a good um, collaborative partner that is very good about, you know, um, helping me get like my, what I've envisioned, I've envisioned into like a real world event. So that's been really exciting and terrifying, but mostly exciting. <laughs> yeah. But you're used to doom. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like, you know, that like native Americans love metal. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, so actually on that note, are you going to have any music to go along with the, uh, I mean, you know, Half of a uh, half of what makes the bar good is the music, and the other half is you know it just kind of drinks and whatever else. Um, yes. so. so I am uh, creating a totally immersive experience. So I will be um, putting together a soundtrack that's like all indigenous-based rock and roll, and I have like a couple of DJs from WFMU help me with that. I've like talked to like other people, but you know we've been making like you know make like music forever. It's not just Link Ray, who is one of my favorites, but like. Right. You know, there's like so much cool stuff that we get to cover. And, you know, I just, just kind of also introducing people to like more modern music that we make instead of just like flute music, I think will be a way for people to like stop, come like hold, stop putting us in past tense and seeing us as modern people. And, yeah, you know, the, of course the other big thing is we're just going to have to be like, so the whole fire water mythology thing is a myth. It's harmful. We're not actually inferior to you and can't digest certain things. And, you know, I mean, I'm really looking forward to the point where yeah. I don't have to go off on that. But with that being yeah. said, um, you know, members of our community choose not to drink. So we're making sure that we have options as well, because if there are people from a different country that culturally don't drink, we want them to also feel welcome in our spaces. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I get I, this. This kind of brings me to like the biggest question that I have about this event is like, what are you what are you personally expecting the reception to be? I mean, you know, it, it I. I'm a product of the American public school system and my knowledge that I gleaned from K through 12 about indigenous history was mostly, you know, it was small and the small bits that I learned were wrong. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering what you sort of expect the reception to be in, in a Parisian setting and also kind of what your, what, what is the brass ring scenario for you? Like, what would you like to get out of this where you would see something that makes you think, wow, this this worked exactly the way that I wanted it to, and I'm super happy? Well, first and foremost, I just want to get these conversations out here in a public place. And I'm also choosing to do it in Europe because America has had hundreds of years to collaborate with us in the drink space, and they haven't. So maybe the U.S. will take, will, um, you know, pay attention if we're doing this somewhere else and like want to work with us in the same way. I mean, um, the most important and most authentic American drinks program is at Awamni in Minneapolis, the uh, sous chef's restaurant. And while that is like zero ABV, everything is local, sustainable, indigenous origin. And, um, you know, it's probably the most important drinks program going on right now. So I want to bring kind of like that sense abroad, but also, um, I know, especially being, you know, indigenous in Europe, there's been a few like incidents here or there, some spirit animal stuff, some weird dream catcher things that, you know, are just going to have to be part of these rolling conversations. You know, our industry is a lot smaller through technology. So 
holding these conversations is good because that means other communities that might have like similar issues or deal with similar mythologies about themselves can also, you know, hold these spaces. And the other thing too, is I just really want to give other indigenous bartenders opportunities that it took me a long time to find in my career and show them that you can do this work other places and what you do is important and interesting and we can teach people things from our perspective. So I guess the biggest main goal is just creating that visibility and seeing evaluation placed in our histories and our flavors that the whole world uses and creating that space, you know, that's for us on an international level and continuing to do it in different countries and with similar communities, like, uh, you know, obviously doing this with a Scandinavian bar with foraging would make sense. So just finding ways to have like these um, connections between cultures to make our industry better is I guess the angle. You're doing great work, Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No one else could do it like you. Um, Just total badass. Um, (laughs) Like really though, you have like blazed this trail, you know? Yeah, I'm just happy people like support what I'm doing now because I've been screaming about it for years. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, it's like I'm super excited about it. I wish I could make it over there for these seminars. But I was going to suggest if you want to do this stateside, um, I know of a little bar that we could do in that. Uh, just saying. And you know, you know uh, your way around oh. that bar too. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, seriously, I mean, like, do you think this is something that, do you think this is something you're going to, like, take on the road after the Little Red Door run? Yeah, I mean, originally we were supposed to do a UK version. It just didn't fall into place, unfortunately, at the same time. So we have something future, like, something like that to do here. Um, I'm talking about doing something in Ireland as well, just because there's an interesting history there that I find some similarities and parallels in. Definitely in Germany, because uh, I think uh, the modern indigenous identity there definitely needs to be seen with some of the stuff they got going on. Definitely somewhere <laughs> Scandinavian, somewhere Mexican for sure. And then we're looking in California, uh, possibly New Mexico with Kate Gerwin and, of course, New York. So I would definitely be interested in doing it at this little bar you speak at or speak of. Uh, yeah, yeah let's, let's shoot for that. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You got to do it in New Mexico. I mean, and there's so much good stuff happening in New Mexico. Uh, obviously, Kate Gerwin's bar, Happy Accidents, and the distillation she's doing there. But there's just some really incredible things happening in Albuquerque and Santa Fe and even Taos. And just like, I mean, that's, it's the best food in the country, I think. So why wouldn't it have these cocktails that go along with the, you know, with that and with those uh, ingredients that are so special. So, yeah, very cool. And if you're in New Mexico, you should check out um, the Bow and Arrow Brewing because it's the first two female-owned um, brewery, I think, in the country that's Native American-owned. And they, like, even found this Diné hop that's been used forever and have started putting it in their beer and have been doing, like, this, like, um, Native land beer where they work with breweries all around the Americas to do this IPA that tells the story of the land who or on whose land you're on. So like there is like a lot of cool stuff coming out of there. And also like with distillation finally being legal on like um, reservation land, there's some breweries forming, there's some wineries, there's more distilleries. So 
we are going to be a big part of this conversation in the future. And especially with like the casinos and things like that, you know, there is more space oh, that we sure. need to take up. And, you know, if there was a way for a casino to utilize like a food sovereign kind of growing program where the, some of the ingredients could be used for the cocktail program and the rest could benefit the nation. That's something positive that could come out of this conversations that we're starting to have. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be huge. Wow. Yeah. I, I also, I need to back up for a sec. You said there was a, a, a Diné hop that they were using. Does that mean that there are species of hops that are indigenous to, to um, the Americas? Because I always thought that hops were exclusively a European thing. So, um, yeah, this has apparently been used as a medicine forever. And um, uh, Shyla from Bow and Arrow realized that it was a hop and now it's being used. Wow, that's so cool. So, I mean, it wasn't discovered. It was, you know, guarded. So yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Like, I mean, there's so much cool stuff in our backyards. Like, uh, even like some of, like, was it Delbach that does the mesquite smoke? Like, there's just so many yeah. interesting ways to add indigenous ingredients into everything that's being made. Yeah, absolutely. Super cool. I mean, we have uh, mesquite. So... I've been talking about this for years and I got to just do it. Um, our family's farm in Southwest Oklahoma, we have, I could make whiskey from start to finish on the land. We have mesquite trees everywhere. So I wanted to like do a mesquite whiskey, but we, there's a, there's a very clean kind of river that runs through it. So I've got like, we've got water. We got, it's kind of a sandy Creek bed. So like I've got sand, I can make glass. I went to school for design and print, so I know how to make paper and ink. Um, like, I started, like, talking to, actually, Rob Dietrich from Stranahan. Well, now he's with Metallica's Whiskey Blackened, but back when he was at Stranahan's, it's not long I've been talking about this. But, you know, <laughs> I could use the grain that we grow because we grow corn and wheat. And, uh, you know, it could just all happened on the land without even leaving. And I was like, man, we should make a documentary out of this. But, like, I just, I love the idea of, as you'd mentioned, you know, earlier in the show about foraging and using these ingredients that are right there under your feet, you know, and that we might not ever get a chance to understand otherwise, uh, you know, like what, what's actually around you. We went to, there was like this thing with like wild man, Steve, you know, that guy who's like a forager dude who like takes groups of people out to, uh, like central park and prospect park. And uh, you'll just forage around these giant parks in the middle of the city. And like, he's like, yeah, this is all this stuff. And like, you're like, oh my God. And you just take it with you. And then he's got books about how to use it. And I don't know, it's just cool. It's cool to like, especially, you know, like you said, that hop, the Denny hop that was protected. It's like, man, what a great idea to use that. Very cool. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, That's just super exciting. I just hope the next time someone's like, you know, I want to do a cocktail menu that's forage. The first conversation is, what indigenous nation in America should we go to to talk about this ingredient? One, uh, what I want to use, what do they know about it? Are there any side effects? Is it medicinal? You know, for that to yeah. be like the first thought will mean that the work that I'm doing is paying off. That's amazing. Hell yeah. Jackie, this has been awesome. Uh, like I, every time I get to catch up with you, uh, you're just always doing so much cool shit. And <laughs> like, and you're always somewhere cool doing it and <laughs> I don't even know how to keep up with you, but this is awesome. I really appreciate you being on the show today and talking about all this very important stuff. And, you know, for people out there, I mean, 
definitely, if you're going to be in Paris, you know, these first dates uh, for this series starts April 4th at the Little Red Door, which I've, I'll tell you stories about that place some other time. The, <laughs> the last time I was there, uh, I somehow ended up behind the bar. Uh, it was one night. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, I just um, get invited to do that. I don't take over, Damon. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't invade. Um, <laughs> they, they asked me behind the bar. I was, come on. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, it, this is sure to be a really amazing experience and can't wait for you to take it on the road. I can't wait to try some of these drinks and the cool things that you're doing with them. But also it's just, I just really appreciate you um, as a good friend of mine and, and, and just being able to watch as you have kind of, grown in this industry and just like you're very progressive and it's just it's just amazing to like behold you know like what you're what you're doing and what you're going to do and just like just amazing work i, I love you so much and it's just so cool to see this you know, like like my friend doing this <laughs> you know i'm just happy to say that we're friends yeah Oh, you're very sweet. And I'll tell my mom you send your love as well. And if you love me so much, she should come and visit me. I will. I will. You know, uh, I need to also give your mom a call. I need to talk to Rosemary. It's been a little while. So you catch up with hers and uh, another amazing person. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Well, you know what? Uh, if there's anything else you want to kind of put out there, we're kind of at the end of the show. Uh, you know, I know you've got the Corn Silk Road. Um, you are... You're out there in London. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, I'm sure they know that you're at Chalk Tales, right? I am. I'm at Chalk Tales, C H O C K T A I L S. That's just the easiest way to get a hold of me. And then um, yeah. everything else that I'm up to is in my bio through my link tree. And um, yep. Uh, well, yeah. And um, I'll be at Tales in July, and I'm doing a talk on this takeover series at bcb in Bur or sorry in brooklyn in june so find me there thanks very cool all right well greg what a fun show we've had today yeah, yeah. man it's always it's always lovely when we get to when we get to catch up with you chucky this is always super super fun so i'm glad this worked out and i do i do want to ask i do want to ask do you have any before we go do you have any baby sham updates for us oh yes I've now added um, six new baby sham baubles for my Christmas tree, and I'm bidding on two um, psychedelic print um, tote bags. So if you're not into it, baby sham is my favorite um, beverage that was it's like an old school British thing, and it was originally geared towards women, and they make the best mid-century like advertising stuff in coops. <laughs> nice. Sweet. <laughs> oh, it has man, a tiny deer. Cool. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, that's awesome. Uh, like, you know, you've got your baby sham things, and I've got my ceramic turkeys uh, at Grand Army. <laughs> we all got our thing, you know. <laughs> but, uh, Greg, I mean, like, I, you know, just before we leave, I mean, like, are you going to try and track down some of these hops, or, like, where, are you going to? Oh, my God, abs absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm going to do it responsibly. Now right, I was going to say, be better. <laughs> going to do it, going to do, going to do my research, going to do my due diligence. But, yeah, yeah I'm insanely curious to, uh, it's been, ages since i've been out to new mexico and i love it out there it's such a wonderful wonderful uh landscape and food and people and art um 
so I need to go and check out uh, what you say, Bow and Arrow Brewing, and I'm very, very curious to try these things because, yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know, it's just another one of those bits of my uh, knowledge of the world that I just sort of unquestionably went ahead and and accepted the Eurocentric narrative. So it's actually really cool to know that there is something out there that could be, you know, that New World hops don't have to be descendants of things from, you know, the Czech Republic in Germany. They can be, you know, from here and have evolved here over millennia. And I'm sure have a taste profile that I've never experienced before. And that sounds very much up my alley. So I uh, kind of yep. do a lot of tax deductible research on that. So thank you very much for, <laughs> for turning me on to that one, Chucky. I'm looking forward to it. I'll introduce you. It's part of my indigenous network. Oh, sweet. Awesome. <laughs> very cool. All right. Well, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out many other programs like this one on Heritage Radio Network. And, you know, I just want to say again, Chucky, love you. Thanks for being on the show. Can't wait to see you again soon, uh, sooner than later and uh, keep up the good work. And on that note, everyone, till next week, cheers. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. It's gonna get you some.